The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me, we'll be in a, a couple passages as our focal passages. Uh, John chapter 14, uh, verse 15 to 31, then also John 15, 26 and 27, then also John 16. I know that's a lot. You're not going to remember that off the top of your head. I wouldn't either. But we will read those here in a moment. And the reason that we're kind of bouncing around is because today we're approaching um, some difficult passages, I would say, for people to understand. But before we approach them, I want to ask you a question. I need to move this or I'm going to hit it for sure. Would you rather have Jesus physically there with you? You can talk to him. You can speak with him. You can touch him. You can do all these things with him. Or would you rather have the Holy Spirit with you? I think that's a good question to ask. I heard it this week in my studying. And I think if we're honest, we would answer, I'd love to have Jesus. I'd love to have him here. I'd love to talk with him. I'd love to be able to touch him. But one of the things that we're going to see in the passages that we read is that Jesus actually says that it's better for his disciples if they leave because there is one that will come to comfort them, to be with them. Jesus says it's better that he leave and, and go and do what he needs to do, which was go to the cross, conquer death, hell, and the grave, go to the right hand of the Father. And he said it's better that the Holy Spirit would be with you, that the comforter would be with you. The Holy Spirit is... Somebody who has a lot, we have a lot of questions about it seems like that we don't fully understand. And so our, our goal this morning is to answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? We want to do our best to answer that. And so that's kind of why we're bouncing around a little bit, but we're also bouncing around because we're staying in John and where we've been in John and Jesus is teaching his disciples and talking to them and he, he interjects some lessons about the Holy Spirit along the way and we want to be able to hit on all of those. So follow along with me first in John 14, beginning in verse 15, and we'll read all the way to 31 probably. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. 
Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. But the world may know that I love the Father and as the Father gave me, gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Then if you skip on down to John chapter 15, verse 26 and 27. Jesus would be talking to his disciples still and he'll say, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. But then Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit again. This is in John chapter 16. So go on down to John chapter 16, beginning in verse five. It says, but now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Very first thing that I think is important for us, and we see this really all over scripture, but it's pointed out to us, I believe, in chapter 14, verse 16. But when we speak of the Holy Spirit, we speak of a person that is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God and should not be seen as just a power or a force. And sometimes that is what the Holy Spirit is viewed as. It's viewed as it's some sort of special power or some sort of force that can be given to us that we then can use. But when Jesus speaks here of the Holy Spirit, it's not as a thing, but a, but a person. See, people in the New Testament at times would fail to recognize this. They would see the Holy Spirit as a gift that could be given to them. We, we see this in, in some different places. So much so that some people even thought that they could purchase the Holy Spirit we see this in Acts chapter 8 with Simon the, the magician who would, who would follow Paul and them around for a while and they would see what they were doing and would, would go to Paul and them and say, how can I, how can I purchase this? How, how can I get this of what you have? I want to heal people. I want to do these sort of things. And, and Paul would rebuke him. So you can't purchase the Holy Spirit. It's not, a, it's not a gift to be bought. It's not something that you can just come and throw money at and have it. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit is a, is a person. He's fully God in absolutely every single way. If you notice in verse 16, when Jesus is talking there in chapter 14, he says, 
and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Now that another is an important word. When you see the word another, this is the Greek word alos, which actually means exactly the same. It means exactly the same. You see, there's, a, there's another word for another, which means different, different than. The same thing, but different. That's not the word that's being used here. The word that is being used is the word that means exactly the same. Jesus is saying somebody exactly on the level of the Father, the Son, now the Spirit will come. So on the exact same plane, level as the Father and the Son, Jesus is saying fully here, the Holy Spirit is a helper just like me. Just as Jesus would say, I am a helper, He's saying the Holy Spirit is a helper. And it is our job as Christians. One of the things that we, I don't think we do this very well, but we need to treat the Holy Spirit with the exact same reverence and awe that we do as Jesus, that we do as the Father. But so often we do not speak of the Holy Spirit in that way. And there's, there's actually kind of good ways for us to test this. It actually came up in my family, but we will refer to the Holy Spirit as, as it, as an it, not as a he, not as a person, but as a thing, as, as, some, as a thing that you can get, as a thing that you can be given. And just in our normal vocabulary, when we speak of the Holy Spirit, oftentimes, and you watch, you'll catch yourself, you will say it, but the Holy Spirit's not an it, it's a he, it's a person, fully God. We see this also in Acts chapter five, verse three through four. You remember the people who went and they sold some of their property and they went to go give the proceeds and they lied about it. That's, that's the story here in Acts chapter five, verse three through four. It says, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Not to lie to God the Father, not to lie to Christ, but he says, you are lying to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Paul very clearly puts it out there that the Holy Spirit is fully God. As a result of this sin, actually, you'll see that this man dies. Then his wife comes in, lies as well, and dies as well because of their lying to God. As the third person of the Trinity, what we see within the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is given to us to come alongside us, to abide in us, to dwell in us. And the Holy Spirit indwells in us as believers. And that is a big deal. That is why Jesus would say, it is your advantage that I go so that the helper will come, so that another helper will come and and abide in you. And so when we're saved by God's grace, the Holy Spirit is very evident in that work of salvation. But then also even beyond that, as we try to grow to become more like Christ, it's the Holy Spirit that works in our life to help us do that. And we're gonna see that more as we continue on. Jesus talks of the Holy Spirit in chapter 14, verse 15 through 26. Uh, Some translations say comforter, some say other thing. It's the word paraclete. Uh, So what does this mean when Jesus says the Holy Spirit is your comforter or or helper or advocate? What what is that? Well, like I said, the word is 
paraclete. And what it means is it means to call to our side for counsel or for support. And a lot of times this word could be used in a judicial way, uh, like an attorney, like somebody who's there for you to speak on your behalf, uh, to help you. We'll actually see here at the end of the sermon in chapter six, uh, the Holy Spirit acting like a prosecutor, not a defense attorney. We want to see the Holy Spirit as our defense working on our behalf before the Father, but we actually see one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit is prosecution, to convict of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And we'll get there in a moment. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But this word even goes beyond the judicial thought of just like having an attorney. In chapter 14, verse 17, Jesus says the Holy Spirit indwells you, is in us. This is a big deal to think about the fact that God would live and abide in sinful man. That that you would have bestowed upon you when you are saved by God's grace, not just, hey, you're forgiven, congratulations, one day you'll be in heaven. No, not just that. Yeah, you're forgiven. Now I will dwell in you. I will dwell in you and live in you and I will will be there for you and we're gonna see all the things that the Holy Spirit does. But this this is very big that God is with us all the time, loving us, guiding us, caring for us, making us righteous. And this is something that we desperately need and God has provided that for us through the Holy Spirit. In verse 18 of chapter 14, again, we see that the Holy Spirit is our comforter. Look at what Jesus says in verse 18. How loving is this? I I will not leave you orphaned. The disciples don't really understand everything that's going on at this moment. Jesus is talking about leaving them. They're probably pretty scared. They're probably pretty nervous, not sure of everything. And Jesus is trying to comfort them the best that he can. He's trying to show them his love. And he he reminds them here again, listen, I'm not going to leave you orphaned. That's not going to happen. I'm sending somebody to come and to be with you. I'm sending someone to come and to, to care for you and to comfort you. And if you've been a Christian very long at all, I hope that you've experienced this in your daily walk with the Lord and understanding how the Holy Spirit will will comfort us and care for us and guide us. It's not some blind, magical type of of guidance, which really gets me to my next point. No, the, the Holy Spirit is our teacher and our guide in God's word to show us the way and the truth and what we should be doing. We see this uh, in chapter 15 of what I read. It says, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. That's important. He will bear witness about me. Jesus, in chapters 14, verse 26, in chapter 15, like I read, and also in chapter 16, In verse 13, look at, I'll read verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. I think one of the things that this is foreshadowing that Jesus is talking about here is the role of the Holy Spirit in writing scripture and how we would get our scripture how he would speak to the apostles and in different apostles. We see this in the New Testament. Paul would write scripture, Peter, John, James, that the Holy Spirit would direct that, that the Holy Spirit would guide that and so that they would not write anything 
but what the Holy Spirit would tell them to write because he was the one that would guide them in the word and in truth. That's why we can be sure of what we have in scripture. That's something that I really think you should study because I know a lot of people right now who struggle with their faith because they're not confident of how we got God's word. Is that really the book that we should have? Is it really, you know, there's a lot of proof out there and I don't have time to do that this morning, but there is a huge amount of proof of how reliable our scripture is, of how reliable the book is that we have sitting before us today. And we can be assured in scripture that Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit would pen that through man. This we have as well in us. We have the great privilege of having the Holy Spirit living within us in scripture or in our lives as Christians. And as we read God's word, as we hear God's word preached, we can trust that the Holy Spirit will enable us and will help us to understand the truth of it. That is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. One of the other things that the Holy Spirit does on our behalf is he abides in us. Doesn't just comfort us, is also our teacher and guide. But as we read this morning in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 27, God himself prays for us. I'll read it again, Romans 8, 26, 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I don't know if you've ever been in a position like this before. I would have guessed you have been. But when somebody was struggling with something and they were talking through how their problem could be solved or, you know, if this would just happen, I think everything would work out. But you were smart enough to know, maybe you've been through it before. Maybe you've, you've seen something like this happen before. You know that what they're asking for isn't the correct thing to ask for. That they should be asking for something else. That there's something much bigger that they are missing. I think this is a pretty good analogy of our lives almost always when it comes to prayer and praying for what we need or what we think that we need. If I were to ask you and to come up to you, who best knows how to pray for you? I would think you would say, I do. I do. But then if I then said, okay, then could you tell me what do you need me to pray for? Chances are you'd probably struggle with it. I'm finding that out on Wednesdays when people sit around tables together and they share prayer requests. A lot of the prayer requests are very shallow. My grandma's sick. Now, this is going on at work. And I'm not saying those aren't big things. But very rarely do we get down to what we really need to be praying for. Oh, I've been struggling with lust. Oh, I haven't read my Bible in a couple weeks. Oh, I'm really actually doubting my faith at this moment. Can you pray for me, brothers and sisters, in this doubt? that I have. You see, we oftentimes don't even talk like that with ourselves when we pray. But here's the good news. In our weakness in our prayers, God himself is praying for us for what we need. That's a comforting thing for me. Because one of the things I've found is oftentimes when I feel like I know what I need, I feel like I know what I need to do and I do it, that was not what I needed to do. It doesn't work. It failed. I, I fell short. Oh, it's because I'm not all-knowing. I'm not all-powerful. I don't know all the different things that are happening in the world, but God does. 
And that same God dwells in us as believers and is praying for us even right now. If you're a Christian right now, God himself is praying for you and your needs. That should be comforting. I always find it kind of comical. When you're a pastor and you go somewhere and it's time for prayer, do you know who they look to to pray? They look to me. That always just kind of makes me chuckle. Like I have some direct line. You know, I got some special prayer that's really gonna make this food good. If I do it, it's gonna be awesome. If you do it, eh, probably not as good. We think that about certain people. We have prayer warriors within our church that maybe you go to and you like the thought of them praying to you because you think, I just think God hears their prayers. Now, whoever you put up on that pedestal is your special prayer person. There's nobody who can touch the fact that God prays for you. That's a special thing that we have as believers, that God would love us so much that he would care to pray for us. In chapter 16, verse 8 through 11, we see that one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is also to convict. I talked about this a little bit ago. There's three things that are mentioned there, sin, righteousness, and judgment. What we see being shown here is that it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the world of their sin. He shows them their failure to match up to a holy God, to a righteous God, And it's him who does this. In Acts chapter two, verse 36 through 37, Peter is preaching, the Holy Spirit has descended on them. Peter now has power of the Holy Spirit. He is preaching faithfully to people. And you get down to verse 36 and verse 37, and this is what it says. It says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. And look at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, what's happening here is these people are being convicted of their sin. And the question I think that we should ask is, who pricked their heart? Who was it that pricked these men's heart? Was it Peter and his eloquence? Was it Peter and how well he shared the gospel? The answer to that is simply no, it's not. It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit pricked their hearts. The Holy Spirit showed them this. James Montgomery Boyce, I have his commentary on John, and he said this, and I never thought of it before, but I thought this is absolutely right. He said, if Peter would have been preaching this same message to the same people the day before, guess what? Nothing. You would have heard crickets. Why? The Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. The Holy Spirit hadn't come and indwelt the believers. So Peter would have just been some rambling man that they'd heard before that needed to shut up. But no, this time something was different. It wasn't that Peter knew more. It wasn't that Peter was smarter. It wasn't that he had more passion. What was different was the Holy Spirit was doing his work. That the Holy Spirit was the one pricking the hearts of the people and helping them to see what must we do? Something needs to be done then. If this is true, if I'm, a, if I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior, Peter, please tell me, what must I do? This need for conviction of sin is of vital importance in salvation and it's the role of the Holy Spirit to do that convicting. 
But not just conviction of sin, it says in chapter 16, but also conviction of righteousness. This might seem a little weird, but it's the Holy Spirit's role to convict people of their false righteousness, especially compared to Christ, compared to Jesus and his righteousness. This word that is used for righteousness here is the exact same word that is used in Isaiah 64, 6. Now, Isaiah 64, 6 is not a very pretty picture at all, but I want to read it for you. This is what it says. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. So when Isaiah here would talk about righteousness, and he would say, your righteousness is compared to a polluted garment. Now, I don't want to be gross, but our polluted garments, we flush down the toilet. That's a polluted garment. That's, what, that's what's being talked about here. That, that's what righteousness, our righteousness is like compared to the righteousness of God. And that's the word for righteousness that is being used here as well. We'll convict them of their righteousness. This is, seems to be one of the biggest hurdles to get past when talking with somebody about the gospel. To help them to see. We can usually show them, yeah, I sin. But it's hard to get them to say, but generally, I'm not a good person. Because most people would say, well, generally, I'm a pretty good person. What are they saying? They're saying, I'm, I'm actually pretty righteous. I'm righteous enough, I think, to get into heaven. We all think this in our life at a time. We think we're righteous. We think that we are good. But the job of the Holy Spirit is to show us otherwise. We're not good. We're not righteous. We cannot obtain enough goodness in ourselves to even come close to approaching God the Father. There's no way. And I know that I could sit up here and I can talk about it over and over and over and over again. But the only person who's going to convince somebody else of this is the Holy Spirit. And we've been promised by God that the Holy Spirit will do that. Then it says convicting of judgment. The world has been convicted of its judgment of Christ. We see this. They crucified the only one that is righteous and the Holy Spirit convicts them of this. But still today, the judgments of the world, the judgments that the world declared, we know this. I hope you know this. I hope that you see this very clearly. The judgments of this world are flawed. The things that the world says is right and pure and righteous and good and moral, as Christians, it has to cause us to step back and say, what is going on here? Does it not? I know it does. I hear you say that almost to the point to where we feel hopeless. How can they? I mean, just recently I, I saw uh, they were trying to get through Congress that if a, if a baby was going to be aborted, but then it was born and it was alive on the table, that the doctors would have the right to make sure that that baby lived. Did you know that bill did not pass? Now, how in, how in the world can people say that shouldn't happen? I mean, that just makes completely no sense at all to my brain. Or as I look at the biblical worldview, as I look at the Bible and we say, no, we're just going to let that, let that baby go, let that baby die because they, they wanted that baby to die. How can we say that that is righteous? How can we say that is good? But listen, we live in a world where we're told that is the righteous thing to do where that is the good thing 
to do. The Holy Spirit needs to convict them of that. I can't do that. I mean, I can smack them. I can think of those types of things. I mean, that, that just does, I wouldn't even know how to begin to argue against that because it just simply doesn't make any sense to me. What I need is I need the Holy Spirit to prick their hearts. I need the Holy Spirit to show them that this is wrong. The world lives with this judgment and the Holy Spirit comes to judge them in their judgment. And again, I have to reiterate, only the Holy Spirit can do this. You cannot do it. I cannot do it. This is his role in the salvation of people. The Holy Spirit alone, it's his job to convict them and to open their eyes to the truth of Jesus and to, for, be the, to for, get them forgiven of their sins. You have to remember if you're a Christian when your eyes were, were opened. Or maybe it was a process, right? Where God was slowly, they were saying, wait, what is this? A few weeks down the road, well, what is this? Maybe this is true. A few more weeks down the road, a couple months down the road, maybe even a couple years down the road until, until finally all you could do is stand before God and say, I believe this is true. Only the Holy Spirit can work that out in your life. It's not that you've come to some knowledge. It's not that you've obtained something. You've finally gotten smarter. No, it's the Holy Spirit did this work in your life. Look at verse 17 of chapter 14. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. It can't happen. They do not know him. Only the spirit can do this work. That's it. In John chapter 16, verse 13, it says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit will guide us into this truth. Will not speak on his own authority, from the authority of the Father and the Son to speak the truth, to save people. I think sometimes, to, just to confess a little bit, I'll look at people and I'll think, impossible. Impossible. They don't get it. They're not gonna understand it. I've said it as clearly as I possibly could say it. There's, there's no way it could be any clearer. It's impossible for that to happen. I don't know if you ever feel the same way. I don't say that like in a bragging way. I'm saying it in a convicting way. But then I look back and think, but he saved me. Uh, there's no one dumber than me. There's no one more sinful than me. There's no one more unrighteous than me. But yet God would save me. If he can save me, I have to believe he can save them. Sometimes I think we lack faith in the work of the Holy Spirit in the work that he does. You see, God uses us, his church, through the power of the Holy Spirit to speak to people, to see the Holy Spirit then go and do these things. It says, we read this today, Jesus would say the Holy Spirit is his witness. He would say that the Holy Spirit is my witness and will go forth and witness about me. But it's actually pretty interesting because in Acts chapter one, verse eight, before Jesus would leave, Jesus would say, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then what's he say? And you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. God has given us a task to be his witnesses, to obey him, to abide in Christ, 
And when we do this as Christians, we show the world what it means to live for Christ. We show the world what it means to be righteous. We show the world what it means to be holy. And we do this because the power of the Holy Spirit indwells within us that enables us to be able to do this. And then the Holy Spirit goes out and pricks the hearts of other people and adds to our family. This is how it gets done. Then lastly, we see that the Holy Spirit exalts Christ and Christ alone in chapter 16, verse 12 through 15. I think this is very important because we live in a world today of special revelation, of new revelation, of all these different things. I think this passage speaks to this. What we see here is we see Jesus saying that he's the final revelation. Jesus is the final revelation that was needed. And the Holy Spirit shows us that. The Holy Spirit always glorifies Christ, always speaks of Christ. He speaks not of his own authority, but of the Father's. Jesus says he will glorify me in all things. He will glorify Christ in everything. He will take of what is Jesus's and he will declare it to the people. That's important for us to remember. That's what the work of the Holy Spirit is to do. The the work of the Holy Spirit today isn't to come and, and to show somebody for the first time that this Hebrew word that they just realized changes all of scripture. And so they write some book about it and now everything is different because we've never really understood this Hebrew word. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit speaks of Jesus. It points to Christ. It speaks of the Father. Does not declare new things, but declares the true things that have been given to us in Christ. I have already mentioned how the Holy Spirit was used in writing scripture, and we see that. And I think that's some of what Jesus is talking about here. But now, as we live as we as Christians are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we too then glorify Christ in all things that we do. If the Holy Spirit does that, glorifies Jesus in absolutely everything, if the Holy Spirit then lives within us, then we must glorify Christ in everything we say and everything we do. Always pointing people to Jesus. Living for him each and every day. Even now, as we get ready to observe the Lord's Supper, why do we do this? Why, why do we observe the Lord's Supper? You know, why, why do we go through all this effort to, to have all this done? Why? We do this to point to Christ. We do this to point to Jesus, to be reminded of what he has done for us, dying on the cross, the bread, his body, the juice that we drink, his blood that washes away our sins. We do this to remember this, but we do this also to point people to Christ. We do this also to remember the promise. Jesus says, I will come again. We look forward to that day. That's why we do this and looking forward to the day when Christ would would come again. And we hope for that day. We yearn for that day. And the Holy Spirit enables us to do that, to yearn for that thing, just as the Holy Spirit would do as well. We're going to close our service observing Lord's Supper together. We have some men here who are going to help us hand out everything. I would ask that as we hand these elements out here in a moment, that as you get it, that you would just take it and hold on to it. I'll tell you when to partake of the bread or the juice. But I would also say, if 
if you're not a Christian this morning, if you've never accepted Christ into your life for the forgiveness of your sins, if you've never submitted your life to him, just, just let these elements pass. They, they mean nothing to you. Uh, we're not gonna look at you weird or strange. We actually will be thankful that you did that, that you honored us in that. But this is for those who've been saved by God's grace, those who have the Holy Spirit living in their life. And again, we do this to honor the Lord. And so I wanna pray. And then after prayer, the men are gonna come and uncover the table and then we'll start handing out the elements and we'll close our service this way. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the Holy Spirit in my life. God, I ask for forgiveness of how often I minimize the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I'm thankful that you've given us the Holy Spirit to give us strength, to give us power, to help us to see the truth of your word, to comfort us, to care for us. God, the Bible says you never leave us nor forsake us. And God, the Holy Spirit plays a big role in that. God, even now, as I have the privilege of praying To God the Father, I can only do that because of Jesus being my mediator. Jesus dying on the cross for my sins, that is the only reason that I can speak to the Father. But then I also understand that it's because of the power of the Holy Spirit that I even have words to utter. And so God, even as we pray, we see the Trinity very evidently. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would work mightily in this church to convict us of sin, to convict us of our righteousness, to convict us of our judgments. God, that the Holy Spirit would comfort us as a body to be unified together, to love each other, to care for each other, to be holy, to be righteous, God, so that then the world outside of these walls can see that difference in our life. And God, that the Holy Spirit then would teach us and guide us to know your word well enough to share the truth with those who are lost. And then, that the Holy Spirit would prick the hearts of those who are not saved so that they would even ask the question like those people did to Peter, what must we do? Because God, we have the answer to that question. What must we do? Oh, you must give your life to Christ fully. He is your savior and your God. God, help us to be willing to share that good news. God, as we get ready now to observe Lord's Supper together, God, I pray that it would be a sweet time of unity within the church as we remember what you've done for us as individuals, how you've saved us by your grace, that it would bring us together to even look forward to the day to when Christ would return. God, we yearn for that day. We look forward to that day. So God, bless this time now as a church family, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.